Last week, we presented what the Bible had to say about loss. Everyone experiences loss in one way or another, and I'm sure you can relate to that in your own life or in the lives of people who are close to you. There are such things as loss of health, loss of trust, loss of freedom, and eventually loss of life. Loss is sometimes beneficial to us because it helps strengthen our characters. Loss can also be an opportunity for God to work things out for you. This week we'll consider issues that cause trouble that individuals and families are faced with. And we hope that this study will be beneficial to you. But before we open the Bible, we'd like to pray with you. Thank you, Helen. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we know that you care about us and all the things that happen in our lives. And we thank you for being a father Mm -hmm. who cares. Thank you, Lord, that we can look to your word for guidance. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch our hearts as we speak today and as people listen, that their needs and our needs will be met only through you and the power of the Holy Spirit. May we each come closer to you and each other as we study your word this morning. I pray in the loving name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Helen. Well, I have a question for you, Helen. We live in a sin-drenched world, and often selfishness causes trouble. What's the antidote, or even better, the prevention of trouble? Well, I, I believe several things. Selfishness is a terrible thing, and that not only sometimes, I think most of the time it causes trouble. But the antidote for that, for the way I look at it, is love. Not love as the world looks at it, but God's love in our heart. And there's a great um, text in Scripture, which I don't know whether we're going to be studying it later, but it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And I think that comes back to saying that love is the antidote. Yes. Putting others above yourself. Yes, that's right. Love is always the answer Mm. to problems like that. Brendan, the Bible has some good advice to give in the case of conflicts within families and in any human relationships. What is it? Let me read from Matthew 7 and verse 5. It says, Hypocrites, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What this text is actually saying, and this is not saying that you are not to judge other situations in all cases. This is saying that if you are trying to uh, put yourself up at the expense of somebody else, that's what a hypocrite actually is. A hypocrite is a person who acts apart and who appears to be righteous or holy or whatever it happens to be. But uh, here we, we have a situation where um, Jesus is saying, you want to be careful while you're busy criticising someone else, you may actually be in a worse state than they are. I believe this is part and parcel of the fact that we can choose our attitude, can't we? Mm -hmm. I remember an incident years and years ago when we were in Papua New Guinea where a wife and a husband had a a conflict and uh, they started arguing and he was about to take off in a plane and um, it got to the point where she was so angry that she wasn't thinking about him so much but she said oh i i hope you don't come back you know it was just said in haste and it was said in anger prophetic words the um (laughs) the follow-up to that was that he actually had to ditch his plane in the ocean 
because of an emergency. And I can remember standing around the radio, all of us, including his wife, praying that he was going to be all right. And her words to me were, if only I could take those words back. Mm. Mm. If, if only. Yes. And, and because she was thinking <clears throat> of herself at the time, she couldn't take them back, of course. Yeah. And that often happens, doesn't it, in conflict? I think, um, Helen, one of the real challenges there is that what we find in conflict is that so often mentally we we understand that, yeah, we, we, we don't want to, um, to offend somebody else and we realise that we may make mistakes, but there is sure. so much emotion tied up in this, uh, this whole issue. And uh, I don't know how, how you find it. I mean, how do you take the emotion? Because that story that you've just told, um, the, the wife regretted sincerely uh, what she had actually said, and yet it was the emotion of the moment that had actually said a great, a great deal. I mean, I think of, for example, ro- uh, road rage. Mm. Uh, road rage has a great deal. It's not people working through often their mind, but rather through the emotion of the moment. Uh, how do you deal with that? Well, I, I learned a very valuable lesson many years ago, and I think I have shared it before, but let me share it again. My son and I were having a really bad time. He was a teenager, and I was a single parent. And we got to the stage, sadly, in our relationship where in a shopping centre in the car park, we were yelling at each other over the top of the car. Not terribly Christian, I'm sorry, but that's how it was. And I can remember walking around the car and looking at him and just pausing as he ranted and raved as well. And I know we had both been shouting and it was like I took a step back. Mm -hmm. There was that pause. And I said, whoop, whoop, time out. And he stopped talking and I said, what I'm hearing from you is this. Is this really what you mean to say? And he said, I I never meant that, Mum. And it just completely diffused the situation. Mm -hmm. And then we were able to talk about it and gave each other permission that I gave him permission, he gave me permission, that if we got in that situation again, that we would pause and we would say time out and then we would ask that question. And it certainly um, took the heat out of the moment. Now, as far as road rage is concerned, another little hint that we learned along the way is that take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and just say, if somebody cuts you off, well, that's interesting. Give yourself that little moment. I know sometimes you don't want to do it, but it, it does work. Just say, that's interesting. I think it's that taking a step backwards that is actually so important here so that our mind actually starts to kick in rather than the emotion of the moment. Absolutely, Mm. Gary, and that's the key, I believe. You can actually um, see that uh, when you go to a place like Cairo, where I was at the beginning of the year, where there's 25 million people, more than the population of Australia, you find that uh, three lanes become four lanes and um, the, the traffic chaos there is absolutely unbelievable. Everybody's tooting their horns and so on and so forth. And yet, despite what appears to be a totally chaotic traffic situation, they all seem to find their slots. And um, taking a step back is fine. It's a bit difficult to do when you're driving on the road, but you can always back off a little bit and let the other person in. But mentally and just not you can take, still do yeah, it. And yes. not take offence to it. All right, well, that's one of two good pieces of advice. (laughs) The other one is actually found in Proverbs 19, verse 11. Mm. Gary, would you share that with us? Yes, um, Solomon's sharing here, and this is what what he shares. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook transgression. 
in our study guide this uh, th this particular week, there's an interesting uh, comment that uh, refers to this uh, this text. Sometimes, when you admit your responsibility in a conflict, it may cause the other part party to soften. Take a back step and consider if it's even a worthy battle. Proverbs states, those with good sense are slow to anger, and it's their glory to overlook an offence. At the same time, consider what difference this is going to make in your life in three days. Yes. Better yet, what impact is it going to have in five or ten years? How many marriages, for example, uh, have had difficult times over issues that today actually look so incredibly trivial? It's a, a really good, good questions and such amazing advice from, uh, from the book of Proverbs. Yes. Well, we've got two things listed here. Number one, remember that we are not perfect. Yes. Um, there's an old saying which says, the pot is calling the kettle, kettle black. black. Mm -hmm. Well, they're both black. We're all tainted by sin, so therefore we have to remember that although there might be conflicts with somebody else, we're not perfect either. And the other one, of course, is to be patient with others. We don't always know the circumstances. Helen was referring to driving, and sometimes when people do stupid things in the road, I mightn't like it, but I say to them, I try to ascertain a reason why they might be doing something silly maybe they're not feeling well maybe they've had a um, disagreement with somebody or maybe they were just inattentive well all those things are excusable can i just bring in a thought that came into me that sure. my mind then ruth colkin she has written several books in in the form of poetry but they're prose and i remember reading years and years ago that <clears throat> she had said that and she was having a discussion with the Lord and she said, look, she's done it again. She's completely ignored me, this woman. And she was getting really uptight about this. And then finally she was at the bus stop and the woman walked past and didn't speak. And she said, see, Lord, see what I mean? She's done it again. And she got quite angry. The woman turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you there. She said, I've just come from the doctor's office. My son has leukaemia. And Ruth finishes off and says, mm. Lord, help me to be less sensitive to myself and more sensitive to others. Mm. I think there's good a good point. lesson in that. Good point. Mm. Mm. All right. Now, of course, the um, closest relationship that people have is marriage. Mm -hmm. And so conflict in marriage are pretty common. But marriage is a God-ordained institution. Now, in Ephesians 1, verse 7, Helen, there is a principle given which applies to marriage. Would you like to share that with our listeners? Ephesians 1, 7, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and the key here, and forgave our sins. Mm, you know, key. he forgave our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and for me. And, and I think there is a principle here. It is redemption. It is forgiveness. But it's only possible through God's grace. Let me just tell you another little incident. I remember that I was an abused wife in a situation for six and a half years, and my husband died. And I can remember years down the track, and I was also an abused child, and years down the track, I had a lesson to learn on forgiveness. And it was like God allowed me to get it out of my system by crying, and I said, I don't want to be in heaven if they're there, and all this sort of thing. And God just let me just get it out of my system. And it was like I could hear him saying, those in heaven are different people. 
you need to forgive. And I've had other incidences in my life, like, you know, when God asked me to forgive a particular woman for something and he wanted me to wash her feet. I could not do that. I argued with God. I said, ask me to stand up and preach in front of a thousand people. I don't mind. I'll do an Irish jig if you want, but don't ask me to do this. And yet finally, when I said, not my will, but thy will, through his grace, I was able to wash that lady's foot. She didn't need it. I needed it. You know, and that's where the forgiveness comes in. By being gracious, we can forgive a partner who has hurt us. And it is through grace that our partner forgives us. You know, Helen, I, I think what you're bringing up here is such a, a really important issue because sometimes in my ministry, the thing that I've more and more come to uh, come to realize is that what God actually wants is reconciliation yeah. between us and himself and between ourselves here on earth. Now, what is reconciliation? We actually hear that term a lot. But reconciliation actually occurs when a person, I might say, I have made a mistake. I am sorry. That word sorry is so important. Yes. But do you know that doesn't bring reconciliation? Reconciliation from a biblical perspective comes about when I say, I am sorry I made a mistake and the other person says I forgive you and that is the key thing in reconciliation reconciliation is actually a two-way event if the two parties don't actually come together one by saying I am sorry I have made a mistake and the other responding in kind and saying I forgive you then reconciliation cannot take place two things are actually required it's a two-way event and that's the, the challenge I find in because uh, I also have opportunity to do a lot of uh, uh, well from time to time marriage uh, marriage counseling and one of the biggest challenges is that reconciliation never actually occurs because what we have is that one party may say I am sorry the other party doesn't respond in kind mm -hmm. and uh, and and forgive i forgive you for reconciliation those two things have to occur and uh, that i think is actually so important in this whole area of conflict it's not sufficient for one party to actually um to actually act on resolving a conflict i agree with you gary but i'd also like to add one more thing there that when somebody says i forgive you full stop don't put a but because how many times do I have, even in counselling, do I have people say, well, yes, I forgive you, but you did this or you did That's that. Not That's not reconciliation. Not it needs to be a full stop. I forgive you, period, yeah. full stop. We must learn to forgive, especially when our spouse doesn't deserve it. Anyone can forgive the deserving. In fact, that's hardly forgiveness. True forgiveness is forgiving those who don't warrant it the way the Lord forgives us through Christ. We must do likewise. Otherwise, marriages, if it is survives, which isn't likely unless you forgive, it will seem like purgatory. Well, forgiveness is important. If you can't forgive, whatever the conflict is, is only going to escalate. Brenton, another principle is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. What is it? It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, uh, Len. Um, basically, it means it's not a single one of us that um, hasn't sinned at some point in time. I'd like to hark back to this forgiveness uh, principle, too, that uh, Gary was talking about, and also Helen. One of the things that we haven't touched on, which we touched on briefly last week, 
Part of the forgiveness issue is that we must uh, learn to forgive ourselves. Forgiving ourselves is not easy, but it can actually cause you a lot of trouble. Further down the track, if you forgive someone unequivocally, like Helen was saying, you can do that and you can move on. The other person who is unwilling to forgive you can't move on but it allows you to be able to move on in life. What this text tells me, though, is that not one of us is perfect and that um, basically how, how should we approach this? Should, should we try and put ourselves in the other person's shoes? Um, should we try and look at forgiveness through their eyes? I wonder, I'm just wondering out loud whether, whether the Bible allows for that because you think of some of the great biblical examples of God forgiving David because of his sin and you ask yourself the question, how did God do this? Well, God did it because he is God and because he was gracious. I would just like to say something here, Brenton, because I, uh, I support what you just said about to forgive yourself. Let me just share with you a message from our, one of our listeners sure. just from last oh. week when we dealt also we with dealt forgiveness. With this, yes. And he says this. I mean, thanking us so much that uh, we are uh, providing these sort of uh, Bible studies. And he said, I was touched by your program, the program which was about forgiveness, addiction and loss. And he says, I'm in my third year of separation. So listening to the program was a way of God to communicate with me. I think it's time now to let it go and start again. Probably our listener couldn't forgive himself Mm-hmm. He was holding back on the hurt. Yes. But he said, probably it's time now to let it go and start again. Now, that start again may be towards reconciliation, not necessarily start again. doesn't mean that you need to leave behind the conflict and move on away from the conflict and start a new thing. In this case, was a relationship. I think, I think, Nick, um, the thing that we need to realise in, in this type of situation too is that uh, healing only comes as a result of a process. In, increasingly what I'm really conscious of is that in any a separation, in a loss of health, in an ageing situation, pain is one of the first uh, outcomes. People feel pain and it's the process of working through that and the process generally takes some years. It doesn't normally happen just overnight and to me I would say at some point we have to come to the point of saying I forgive irrespective of whether the other person actually responds and reconciles. In many cases reconciliation does not occur simply because we don't get the response or the response from the other party is not possible. Mm. Maybe death has passed, uh, has passed on. But this is, this is so important that at some point, I believe, we come to the point of saying, I forgive. Brenton, I think you've got something you'd like to share here. There's an interesting comment here that I'd like to share with our listeners. You must accept that you're married to a sinner. Well, my wife certainly knows that one. (laughs) (laughs) To a being who has been damaged to some degree emotionally, physically and spiritually. Get used to it. Mm, That's the hard bit, isn't it? Accept your spouse's faults. Pray your way through them. You might have to live with those faults, but you don't have to obsess over them. If you do, they will eat you alive. Um, Isn't that the truth? A holy and perfect God through Christ accepts us as we are. You, who are hardly holy and perfect, must do the same with your spouse. Can I just make a brief comment as someone who is married? Sometimes you cannot see 
your faults. Sometimes your partner can see them very clearly, but you cannot see them. And it's only under certain circumstances that all of a sudden it's almost as though you're looking at yourself and you're saying, am I really that bad? Did I really do that? I think when you do see yourself in that way, you are much more inclined to be merciful to your partner <laughs> when you see things in him or her that uh, are perhaps not up to the standard uh, that we would expect. I think overriding it all, though, is really there must be an understanding of how much God forgives us and how much his grace is. He forgives us where we are. He doesn't forgive us at a certain level. He forgives us exactly where we are and says, Brenton, I've forgiven you. I want you to grow and I will give you the grace to grow. And when you, you do understand that, it actually breaks your heart. It breaks your heart emotionally and it softens your heart. And I think then you're in more of a position to be more gracious to others when they offend against you. Amen. Well, all this is very good advice. And quite often when there's conflict, there's anger. Helen, is it a sin to be angry? That's a very good question. Um, if we take Jesus' example, and we can find that in Mark eleven fifteen to 18, and for those that don't remember what that says, let me just briefly go through it. Uh, it tells us about the time that Jesus entered the temple and he drove out the people that were buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and those that were selling dove. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be Come, be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have turned it into a den of thieves and it was interesting at the end on verse 18 it says the people were amazed at his teaching you know I think I've thought a lot about this particular text and most people say oh that's righteous anger you know we can have righteous anger your question was is it a sin to be angry well in that episode with Jesus, no, Jesus became angry and he was sinless. However, let me just make a few observations here of that. Well, and what was he text. angry about? Can I ask, what was he angry about? He was angry, angry because, A, they turned the temple into a marketplace. a marketplace. Yeah. Just before you go further, probably we didn't have um, a chance, but if somebody on the panel here may explain a little bit what anger means, because we may talk about anger, but we don't know exactly what, what's anger. How can you explain anger first to be able to understand why a person become angry? Is there anybody who who like to share something? or? Yes, I think I can give a definition. It's un uncon no. It's not always uncontrolled frustration. Not but, always. No. But anger actually occurs when somebody feels that they cannot control a situation. If you feel you can control the situation, you won't be angry. You might be frustrated. But if you feel you cannot control the situation, it might be something outside your own realm of um, activity then um, you will feel angry about it. Anger is an emotion. Would you agree? Hmm. It's an emotion. The Bible doesn't tell us that we shouldn't feel angry, but it points out that it is important to handle our anger properly. And I believe that's what Paul brings out in, in Ephesians. It says He says, Paul tells us to deal with our anger immediately in a way that builds relationships rather than destroys them. There is the emotion there, 
but we have a choice. Mm -hmm. Are we going to allow our emotions to take over and continue to be frustrated, angry, or are we going to, as, as I mentioned before, take a step back? Even in our own minds, the thing I didn't mention was when you are doing that, don't forget to pray, most important. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, reflect. Reflect on, on what happened. You know, what brought you to that point so that if it happens again, you've got some tools to deal with it. Mm. I think the challenge, though, Helen, is that we're living in such a high-strung society, and high-strung is the only way are. I can describe it, yeah. um, where things are just moving so quickly at such an incredible <coughs> pace that it's so easy to fly off the handle without thinking or observation. I know in... Uh, I go back to my, my illustration of road rage, you know, that I, I used previously. You know, that issue is flying off the handle without thought or uh, or opportunity to actually change your mind. Uh, to me, this is where I think your environment is actually so important. In, um, uh, in my car, I, I actually love, when I'm driving along... I love to actually listen to music, particularly to to Christian music, and I actually I actually love listening to the hymns of the church. I, I know yeah. some people find no, that a bit, bit strange, but that's what I enjoy enjoy listening to, and uh, I've, I'm often listening to that in the in the car. Do you know what I find is that that actually provides me with a level of peace that I I don't think anything else can provide you with. And um, when someone gives me a hard time on the road, and that happens to us all, my my attitude is able to be, my response is able to be controlled in a far easier way than if, and on those occasions, than when I am high strung. Because high sure. being high strung is it a is. is a major challenge in our society. And to me, I'm just sensing that we need. This is where the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is Christian theology again, is actually so important. When the Holy Spirit has come, he he, he lives within a person and changes the way they actually think. But I'm preaching a sermon now, and I shouldn't preach sermons. I'll stop <laughs> preaching sermons and uh, pass it over to yeah. someone else who's got three hands up. I was just, I was just going to come. Back to that even though we didn't come with uh, necessarily with a definition a proper definition of anger but we agree that it's a some sort of emotion as That's you true. just said sure. uh, Helen and what I realize that also anger and this is the thing it could be a righteous anger or <laughs> unrighteous anger I'm not yeah. sure how to, comment to say that, that but what I want to say is this in many aspects it's a form of discipline very interesting what I'm saying here, but just get this. God acted as like he was angry many times with his people when he disciplined them. He didn't the, act. He the, was angry. He was. What I'm trying to say, because most of you here, guys, you are parents.